You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 140. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. You've reached another Local Maximum. Welcome to the show. Today, we are going to welcome back a guest on the program to talk about why all of these election polls are so tricky. I know I've had a lot in the election recently. We've only got a few weeks to go. Uh, he is a data scientist, a developer of PyMC3, and an election modeler at PollsPosition.com, which focuses on French elections in France. So we'll have a look at our, uh, my U.S. election from, from a distance, perhaps. So let's welcome back to the show, Alex Andorra. Hi, Alex. You've once again reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, thanks, uh, Max. And I'm worried because it seems like I'm stuck at the local maximum. And usually that's not good. <laughs> it, it, I, hopefully it's a higher local maximum than last time. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I hope so. But hope so. Uh, yeah, so, um, well, uh, you do a lot of data analysis with polls. And mm-hmm. guess what? Uh, there's been a lot of interest in that uh, this month. Ah, really? Uh, so, what, yeah. What's happening? So, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just I get a lot of requests for this kind of thing. So, uh, first of all, but before we go into that, tell me a little bit about what you do. Um, you know, you take polling data. W- what do you do with this? Remind the audience or, or tell the audience for the first time what exactly it is that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it, it, it's tied actually to the um, open source development that I do. So, I'm going to start by uh, saying that I'm a core developer of two Python packages, um, which are really great packages, of course, <laughs> which are called uh, RVs and PyMC. And PyMC stands for uh, Python Monte Carlo. That's so a it's, a, it's a package to do uh, Bayesian um, or more generally probabilistic programming in Python. And so I do um, uh, open source development of, on, 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 this, on this package, and I use a lot this package on some models that I do, and some of these models uh, are um, about electoral forecasting. And so I have this uh, project that I have in in, in France, um, which is um, basically, uh, which is called uh, PulsePosition.com. And this is a a project where I and a bunch of friends uh, are trying to forecast elections that happens in France. And to do that, we use some uh, socioeconomic data, and also, of course, we use polls. And so that's why I guess uh, you were interested to to talk again today. Yeah. So I, I think this this will be a good discussion because I, I feel like it's hard for anyone to be objective about the U.S. election, but maybe you could be a little more objective because we're not going to get into um, some of the more specific. Uh, well, I, I, I mean. I, I, I want a more general view of what, what can and does go wrong and how this time might be different in the U.S., but we're just going to kind of, um, we're, we're just going to try to understand the field that we're, we're, uh, yeah. we're diving into a little bit better here. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so uh, first of all, there's been a lot of discussions about the polls for the 2020 election here in the U.S. Um, you know, can we trust them? A lot of people ask. And people can't even agree on whether the polls were right or wrong in 2016. You know, people thought Hillary Clinton were, were, were going to win. The pollsters did. But, you know, some people say, well, the polls were way off. And other people are say, say well, no, they were just off by a tiny bit and it changed the whole thing. So why is it so hard for people to come to a consensus here? Is it 
Um, do you think it's just people trying to spin it either way, or do you think it's actually there's actually something uh, more, you know, by the nature of of polling and the and mm-hmm. the mathematics and the statistics of it that make it so difficult? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I think it's uh, it's a bit of both. Um, well, first, I tend to completely discard any uh, politician that's talking about polls because uh, you have usually a high, you know, selection bias there. Uh, they usually talk about the polls that that go in in their way, um, and uh, some do that more than others. And it's not only in the U.S. I can uh, assure you, in France, we have mm. a lot of that too. That um, the media outlets do it too. They'll say a new poll oh, says yeah. blah 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 blah, and really there have been ten polls on that thing, but they yeah. decided to yeah, focus yeah. on that exactly. One. Yeah, and you don't know. I would like them to focus on the one that is like, you know, <laughs> that 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 is the best. Um, you know, like, tell me why this is significant. Like, this one has the best methodology, but you, you, you almost get that in your head, but that might not be the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's exactly that. And, I mean, you can you can see that everywhere. Uh, in France, it's the same thing. Um, and so, and, and what's funny also is that in France, sometimes uh, I go to, you know, uh, some French TV media and uh, they ask me about polls in the US. And so often they tell me, oh, okay, it was this last poll, in this last poll, uh, uh, it seems like Donald Trump is having a bump in in his popularity, you know, and so on. So it's always it's always very funny. So I think there is a bit of that, you know, this horse race uh, thing that we all have in our brain. You know, we like novelty and we like things that are that seems uh, new and shocking. So this is this is this part. And yeah, to go back on my on my train of thought, uh, I usually discard any. A politician or any uh, non-data-focused media uh, that's talking about polls. And also the second part of that, and that's also why I discard that, it's that uh, basically polling is hard. Uh, <laughs> polling is very hard and it's not intuitive, you know. It's it's something that's quite hard to explain and um, people usually don't really know uh, how a poll is conducted and how then uh, the different weightings um, are taken care of by, by the pollsters and so on. So, but, but it's because also it's a, it's a difficult job and it's a difficult industry and it's a real challenge to have good polls consistently for all elections and so on. And the problem often is that uh, uh, people have their mind set on how polls are good or not, but they don't know how polls are conducted. So it's, it's also uh, difficult there because, yeah, it, it sends, it, people's, people tend to have opinions on this, uh, why I think we should not have that strong opinions uh, usually. You know. Yeah, I, I'm going to go over some ways, you know, polling might be hard here, mm-hmm. but if I miss something, by all means, let me know. Um, so I guess in the ideal situation, you'd contact a random sample of voters mm-hmm. and you ask who they are going to vote for and they give you an answer. But, well, first of all, even if you do that, you can have random variations just by pure, yeah. you know, statistical analysis, just by pure, you know, statistical variability. Yeah. And I think that's what the, oftentimes the, the margin of error is only talking about yeah. pure statistical variability. Exactly. Um, but there's a couple things that could go wrong, even if you get that right. So first... There is no random sample. The sample is never completely random, and is that a problem? And then secondly, the voters themselves, the the people you're contacting, they might not even be be voters. They might not be telling you exactly what they're going to do. And, you know, there is a lot of speculation here that Trump voters aren't telling the pollsters their true preference. Maybe some Biden voters are doing the same. I don't know. Uh, Is this something that you've seen before 
say, in, in French elections? Mm-hmm. Or what, do these problems happen to creep in sometimes? Well, yeah, uh, <laughs> all the time. I mean, um, that's also why it's, it's super hard. And uh, first, I want to caveat all that by saying that I'm uh, I'm in no way a pollster. I'm a statistical modeler, so I use polls, you know, as a raw material in my in my models, and then I do a bunch of uh, statistical operations on these polls and other data to get some forecasts of the elections. So, uh, that being said. Um, I do, uh, I am curious about polls and how they are conducted. And also uh, what's good is that I don't have any scheme in the game. I mean, I don't care if polls, uh, I don't want to say that polls are good or bad. You know, I'm just using polls whether they, and see whether they have some uh, predict, predictive power, you know, so. Do you um, ever look at a poll though and say, ooh, I wish this was conducted a little differently? Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, in, in France, especially, uh, I do that a lot, uh, but to to go back to your to your question to your original question, um, yeah. So these these are really important important topics because, as you say, you can't really have a random sample, a true random sample, as you have in the statistics book uh, books. So um, the first, you know, one one of the first and obvious ways is that uh, you get some selection bias uh, in how you contact people. I mean, if you use only landlines, then it's a big problem because most of your of the young people um, usually they live in the city and maybe they're from uh, poor households and maybe they're from some minority. So then you have a problem because your bias is associated with some uh, demographics in the population, and that's that's a big problem. So clearly, if you see, I, honestly, if I see a poll that uses uh, only landline phones. Um, I, I'm usually more skeptical of it, you know. Um, yeah, it's amazing they still do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's good. I mean, what's good is to have a blend, you know, basically. But it's it's it costs more because there is this also, you know, polls cost a lot of money. And so someone has to pay for the polls that you see some somewhere in the media. And you don't pay for your media outlet usually. So um, this costs a lot of money. The best is to have, you know, uh, a blend. Uh, I love, uh, in France, sometimes you have polls that use face-to-face interviews, uh, landline phones, mobile phones, internet. So that's that's awesome. But that's super rare. And it's really the, 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 the best uh, the best institutes, the best pollster uh, that do that. So that's the first um, kind of bias that you have. But you have also a lot of other uh, biases that are also interesting. Um, and as you say, there is these uh, voter... Um, versus um, just all adults. Do you know you have polls that interview the population of all adults and they don't differentiate whether these people will vote or not and they don't have a model of whether these people will turn out or, or, or not? Um, I think it's the US, from what I know, in the US it's it's quite rare now and this is usually really well-written in the, in the study and usually posters uh, can also do both, uh, you know, they have one poll with all adults uh, and then one poll with the potential voters. But this is super important um, because... Yeah, I, I think you, they say they yeah. either do registered voters or likely voters. Yeah, exactly. You have, yeah, all, I'll see you have that. So you have all adults, then you have registered voters, then you have uh, likely voters. So you have to be careful about that. Uh, 
Usually, it's it's uh, better to use at uh, polls that use likely voters uh, when you're close to the election, like right now, um, because um, well, people know more about whether they will vote or not, and also. Uh, but one one thing that you have to keep in mind there, it's that this is kind of like a, a statistical model that pollsters use. You know, they have models of election turnout. And of course, if you do a model, you're having some assumptions. And if you're having some assumptions and these assumptions turn out to be wrong, well, then your polls can have a systematic bias, you know, so you have to be careful about that. But uh, basically, that's also why Bayesian statistic is super important in elections uh, and election forecasting. It's that you have uncertainty sources everywhere. Uh, that creep in. And so you have really to keep in mind that one poll is really uncertain and you have to look at the average of all of them. And even this average has a lot of uncertainty around it. So um, really that's that's what makes it a very difficult job. Uh, and that's also what makes it, I think, a very interesting job. But you have to keep that in mind all the time. Um, and there are also, um, if, if, if you want, I can also talk about, like, I think two, two of... Two interesting challenges uh, here are, um, well, the non-response bias uh, that we talked about, and you can have um, you can have that because first, uh, as we say, um, maybe you selected a subsample of the population where people don't answer to the phone or. They don't sure. have the internet. So if they don't have the internet, usually they are quite old. But then if you don't get get the old people in your sample, that's a problem. So that's one, one part. And there is another part that is an interesting uh, part to, to, to have in, in mind. This is called the uh, partisan non-response bias. And this is actually a phenomena that is um, usually partisans of a candidate tend to not answer polls when their candidate is in, is in a bad news cycle, you know. Oh, interesting. So if yeah. some bad news about your candidate is out, yeah. you're not going to be likely to talk to pollsters. Yeah. Usually they're like, you can see that as they are demoralized for a bit. And so they tend to not want to answer the phone and not want to answer a poster. A poster. So when the polls go up and down, it might not actually be people changing their minds. It might be uh, just people changing their behavior in terms of whether they're talking to the pollsters or not. Yeah, and you can actually, you can adjust for that in in the models that you do. But that's why it's interesting to have models uh, to forecast the elections because a model can take all of that uncertainty in consideration, whereas your homo sapiens uh, brain can't do that, you know, consistently and... um, and all the day, all day, you know. So um, that's why it's interesting to have a model. But yeah, basically, um, that's why. Uh, that's also why you know uh, it's important to not overreact to you know so-called convention bumps or debate uh, after debate bumps, etc. Because you have these non-partisan, uh, these um, uh, partisan non-response bias. But you can adjust for that. And also, I mean, uh, it's not. We're not talking uh, at a magnitude uh, uh, of an effect at a magnitude of I don't know ten points. I mean, if 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 a candidate uh, goes from um, I don't know plus five to plus fifteen, 
uh, after some event in the average of poles, this means uh, there is probably signal there. You know, you have to keep right. the, the magnitude of the effect in, in, in mind. Right, right. So you have to kind of, um, you have to be able to balance between them. Yeah, yeah, no, a a lot of, um, I've realized this with a lot of people now, including myself, would ask, like, why I haven't taken any polls, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) who is being polled? And and we used to, like, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we used to get calls all the time Mm -hmm. to do polls. Uh, And now it's like, is it because we're in states that don't matter? But that doesn't make any sense, because even... Even some of the states that don't matter do have polls that come out, and there are national polls. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, well, um, funny thing, I've never answered any poll either. Um, <laughs> so you're so 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 you're messing up your own models, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but I think it's just this is one of the uh, funny things of randomness. Basically, I think um, we both live in huge cities with millions of inhabitants. Uh, we're probably not in an underrepresented group. And so all of these factors, right. you know, uh, come in. And basically, uh, yeah, if you're a white male living in a big city, uh, I, I think it's, 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 it's quite normal that uh, it's super rare that you're contacted for a poll because keep in mind that polls usually have samples around uh, 1,000 people. And uh, these 1,000 people are not uh, old people living in New York uh, because otherwise the poll is really right. weird. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, you, you do the math. Uh, I think it's 20 million people living in, in New York and uh, 1,000 uh, 1, yeah. people in the sample. Well, less than that, but, but we have a metro area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, a- another strategy we've seen is kind of these like observational and corrective studies. And that's a little bit, oh, yeah. you know, you've done it. Um, and, and I'm not sure how widespread that is. It might be everybody does this, but they kind of attempt to correct for that imbalance. They're like, well, if we don't have, uh, you know, well, first of all, you do want to have, uh, you know, underrepresented groups. Like you said, you don't want to have, you know, if you have 90% of the population, that's all very similar. And then 10% where they're very, uh, they're just very different types of people, then I think you want to focus on those 10% because among the 90%, you could probably get a good signal by polling them just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, um, so I, I used to do this in, in attribution for online marketing where mm-hmm. we were trying to figure out, you know, what people would have done had they seen the ad or what people yeah, yeah. would have done had they not seen the ad. And we were, uh, you know, we we had to kind of focus on underrepresented groups and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So how common is this practice, first of all? Do, do all pollsters do this? And what could go wrong there? Because I could tell you in marketing attribution, there was a lot that could go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think you were talking about uh, reweighting uh, practices yeah. that pollsters uh, use. And yeah, of course, this is used by uh, every uh, pollsters, I'm guessing. Um, because as we said in the beginning, Basically, you can't have a random sample, and polling is is more and more difficult because people don't answer the phone anymore, and also just getting people uh, via the phone is not representative. So it's super hard now. It's harder to reach uh, people randomly and to reach uh, than a random sample, a true random sample of the population. So you have to reweight your um, your sample. So that means that. Uh, for instance, imagine that um, there is 20% of the population of uh, voters uh, 
that are between 18 and 24. And in your poll, you're getting only uh, 10% of the of the sample of your poll uh, that are between 18 and 24. So that means that you will reweight uh, your poll and you will basically count as two every person that is between 18 and 24. I'm simplifying a bit, but that's basically what this means. Reweighting that's quite that's quite uh, you know transparent as a term. It's just that each person between 18 and 24 in the poll will will weight as two. Um, so the problem here. There are many. There are many of them, of course. Um, first, um, imagine that if you, if only by you know chance, um, you get the ten percent, you you get the 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 ten percent of people between eighteen and twenty four that have a weird um, behavior compared to their class of age. Then you're right you're, just well, by randomness. Yeah, you, just by now randomness. your sample is much smaller because exactly. it's not your total sample. It's yeah. like just your sample in this group. And yeah. even if your total sample you think is enough to be significant, this is yeah. This could have some random. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because if you look like if if you're like between eighteen and twenty four, there won't be a lot of uh, of them in your poll. And the lower the number, the higher the chance to have outliers. You know, it's like right, instance. and if it has a big weight, then that outlier could outlier the yeah, whole poll. Yeah, exactly. If you get there, there were there was a story like that in 2016. I think it was a, a a newspaper in LA. I don't remember the name, but that did that did some polls, and they had um, I think only one black voter voter in their sample, and this one one black voter that voted for that said that he would vote for Trump, which was like super weird because usually uh, the Black uh, voters uh, really didn't uh, disliked yeah. Trump in the polls. So, but it was about eight percent, so not impossible. Yeah, and so 10%. that messed up. That messed up their sample. Right. You know, so that's wow. one of the risks. Um, another risk is that you have to choose what, uh, which factors you you are reweighting on. Because you can't re- reweight on everything, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't say, "Yeah, I'm reweighting for this and for that and for that," and we are basically reweighting for every possible factor. That's not supposed. Yeah, to be. that's so. what we were trying to do for attribution, and it got like exactly, it got crazy. Yeah, you yeah, can't, you can't do that. It's like you know, it's like trying to prove that something is not uh, dangerous. Like you can't prove that something that like uh, I don't know, a chemical has no risk. It's impossible. So right. You have you have to choose which weights uh, you are, uh, which factors you are reweighting, and so this can uh, mess up your polls. Like for instance, in twenty sixteen, uh, one of the uh, conventional wisdom is that uh, polls uh, didn't reweight enough uh, for education, and this is because education has been um, more and more. Uh, indicative and predictive of what you're gonna vote for, which party you're gonna vote for. But this is quite new in the U.S. because before it wasn't as as polarized on education, you know. But uh, it seems like it's becoming more and more predictive. Um, and so you have to reweight on education. And if you don't do that enough, then your polls will have some problems, you know. So that's that's basically at least two of the big problems. But and and so this second problem, by the way, is uh, tied to what I was saying earlier. This is basically a statistical model, you know. So you have to make choices and you have to make assumptions because if you don't make assumptions, you can't have a model. And so if your assumptions are wrong, 
then you're gonna have problems. But the good thing is that uh, then you can go back on your assumptions on the next election cycle and you know correct correct course. So that's that's how you that's how you do science basically, and that's yeah. how you learn. But then I feel like the next election cycle, they're always like, this time we're right. And then oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's still more problems. Yeah, there is the risk. Yeah, clearly there is a risk, which is uh, fighting the last battle, you know, and uh, overcorrecting, you, you know, overcorrecting your course. And like, um, it's true that if you, if you draw conclusions only on one sample, like, oh yeah, in 2016, we were under, uh, under waiting for education. So now let's be super aggressive and wait a lot uh, for uh, education. And you only have one election where you had this problem, then probably you were overfitting, you know, and then you could have the uh, inverse problem in, in 2020, you know. So I'm not sure about that because if you look at 2018, for instance, like education was super predictive, but uh, this can, this can happen. Like imagine for other, you know, other predictors, but yeah, that's yeah. Good. We don't know what, we don't know what features are going to come in and out of importance over the years. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's, that's what makes I mean, it a hard job, but an, an yeah. interesting job, you know, but um, well, yeah, it makes it interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. But also what We're, I want to say yeah. is that, uh, you know, often people are like uh, kind of shocked by these reweightings and so on you know and like it's as if um it's as if you know you get an unpure an unpure poll or stuff like that you know um and uh like people want the raw version you know like uh, like, like a like an organic uh, vegetables you know they they want the rawest uh, version possible of the poll but keep in mind that uh, we have to do that because the raw data is not uh, is not actionable, you know, because the raw data is bad, the raw data is messy, and you have to do all that because precisely because the raw data data is not good enough. You know, if the raw data was a pure random sample uh, of the population, then you can be sure that pollsters wouldn't uh, wouldn't care for all these uh, modeling. You know, voter turnout, modeling voter turnout is super hard and then uh, reweighting and so on. This is super hard and it costs money. So you can be sure that um, uh, they, they would like not to do that, I guess. Um, so the bottom line is here, um, answer, answer the polls when you are asked to do, you know. <laughs> Can, can you tell us about, do you, do you know any situations that have come to mind in like France or where you have done some modeling where things, um, things went off the rails a little bit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, um, oh, yeah. First, uh, before, before talking about that, I have um, an interesting, uh, a very quite new and interesting method uh, for statistical modeling that appeared based on this, you know, this problem of random sampling and so on, uh, is a method uh, that uh, was uh, spearheaded by Andrew Gelman, uh, who is uh, one of uh, the most um, renowned researcher in the Bayesian, uh, Bayesian sure. framework, and who is in, in New York, by the way, at, at Columbia. Yeah, and Columbia. so he spearheaded a method, a method called um, multi-level regression and post-stratification, and so this method basically is uh, designed to balance exactly the problems that we were talking about with uh, polling samples. So basically you get a polling sample and then what do we do with that? You know, how can you reweight this poll to draw inferences on the true latent support for his party in the population? And uh, basically 
just very broadly, um, you can use you you use demographic data in, for instance, each state of the U.S. And then you do some reweighting and so on based on these demographic data and the sample from the poll. And then you can get inferences and forecasts at the state level, even if your uh, poll was at the national level, for instance. So that's a super nice, a super nice method. Um, it's really interesting. It does. Um, um, you have to have nice data, you know, nice polling data, and you have to have really detailed um, samples from from the polls, which basically I can't do in France. You know, I don't have enough detail from the pollsters to do to apply this method, so I can't do that. But in the US, I think you can because the details from the pollsters are are better. Um, so this was kind of a nerdy detour, but I wanted to mention that because it's kind of a of, of, yeah, no, of uh, a nice uh, for cool, the audience likes that stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a cool uh, it's a cool way, you know. It's in it it shows that uh, you can get inventive because you have these drawbacks, you know, from pollings and so on. And then you can, yeah, I mean, it's not lost, you know. It's just it's hard. It takes time, but it's not lost. Um, yeah. And so to answer your question now, um, so about some. Uh, Poll. Yeah, tell me about a time things went off the rails in uh, in France or, or some polling got. Yeah, yeah. Um, what happened? Well, a funny thing is like um, one of the uh, biggest uh, shock wave that we have known in French politics recently is in two thousand and two, when for the first time um, the candidate from the far right party um, got to the second tour, uh, second round of the presidential elections. So presidential elections in France are two rounds, and only the first, the two first of the first round go to the second round. And it never happened that the candidate from an extremist party went uh, to the second round. And it was the first time in 2002, and uh, pollsters uh, didn't really see that in the data. Because actually the race was really, really close. Actually, it was like super close between the leftist uh, candidate and the traditional left candidate and the far right candidate. So basically it was like a half a percentage point or something like that, you mm. know, so it's it's super hard. But this was like a huge shock in, in French uh, politics. And and so pollsters had to react uh, to that. And so now the funny thing actually is that I think they are overcompensating, you know, for that. Um, because... Um, I did uh, I did a, a study for uh, about that for for Paul's position and basically I look at I looked at all the uh, polling averages for all the elections that happened between 2002 and uh, 2017 and and in almost all of these elections now the uh, national front so the, the far right party is overestimated by polls um, like almost all the time um so it's probably a sign that pollsters are over uh, compensating for this uh, this error, and also because um, you know everybody is focusing on that. So I think pollsters also have incentives, you know, to 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 be to overestimate uh, the far right party because it's less it's less uh, it's not as bad for them to overestimate the far right party than to underestimate it, and so. It's true that uh, if I were a poster, I would tend to prefer to overestimate the far right party, and so yeah, it's, uh, that that was even in the news in the U.S. when it happened. Yeah, yeah, because I remember it. Yeah, yeah, that's that was like super huge, and 
And so that's an interesting thing. And that's where uh, having a model and especially a Bayesian model is interesting because, you know, you can put that, that assumption into the model and then the model can take that into account. And since there are uncertainty around the poles and around all of your model, then uh, your forecast, forecast can account for that. And so actually the last uh, uh, forecasting model that I did, which was in 2019 for the European elections, um, it took that into account and it was quite good. Uh, I anticipated that the far right would be overestimated and it was, and the, uh, and the polls were kind of wrong. Uh, I think it was quite a, a big mistake, if I remember correctly. And but the model got it right because you had you know this uncertainty around around the polls. And also, which what's interesting, uh, the same election was that um, there was a polling error also for the far left party, which was also overestimated, and the model got that right too because the uncertainty in the polling error was within the historical you know bounds of polling errors so it was if i remember correctly something like a, a two or three point error uh and historically uh, french pollsters are quite good you know and so that means that it's very rare that you have a polling error more than three points so, so but that means a confidence interval of plus or minus three so it's it's already quite big yeah. you know um but what's interesting is that they did a huge uh, polling error on on the traditional right party, and they overestimated it by uh, eight points. I think That's if a I lot. remember correctly, which yeah. is like super huge. It's like in a divided election, especially. Yeah, exactly. So it means that uh, if you put that into historical perspective, it's like more than twice the uh, average historical polling error. So it's super super large. Yeah. I feel like we have this issue in the U.S., though, where third-party candidates are often, you know, a month, like like before we get close to the election, they mm -hmm. actually have very high, uh, they do well in polls, and then as we get closer to the election, their polling just collapses to like 1%. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm never sure like what's going on there. Yeah, I think it's also because in the U.S., though, it is, I mean, since uh, voter choice is constrained because you basically only have two parties, I mean... I think you have some, you know, aspirational people that answer, uh, well, aspirational answers to the polls, you know, like people saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote for, uh, I think, Jill Stein or something like that, you know, or. Yeah, yeah, Well, Well, I remember last time there was uh, Evan McMullen was running in mm -hmm. like Utah and people mm -hmm. were like, oh, Utah is not going to vote for Trump. They're going to vote for Evan McMullen. And he, yeah. he was ahead in one poll. And then, yeah. no, not at all. And uh, yeah, 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 Gary Johnson was getting 20 percent in some states, which is like, which would be huge. But like, no, they all dropped. Yeah. Sub 5 percent, 2 percent, 1 percent. And I mean, it's also because I guess, I guess my, my one of my hypotheses would be that people don't want to waste their votes, you know, and they know that it's like super, super um, rare that there is these kind of uh, things happening in the US. And so maybe they would really like to vote for uh, uh, for the third party candidate, but they see, they see that you know, 15 days before the election, the candidate is like is at like 10% or 12%, you know, and it's quite high, it's quite honorable, but they're like, yeah, but he's never going to make it. So I have to vote for, I don't know, Democratic or the Republican candidate because otherwise I'm just waiting my votes, wasting my vote, you know, 
which is yeah. actually not what you want in an election. You know, right, that's not right, good right. that you guys are yeah. in this position. Uh, and sometimes, I mean, like here in New York State, I feel like I could do whatever I want because it doesn't matter. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but that's a you problem, know. you know. I mean, yeah. uh, that's that's kind of a big problem. You should be able, I think you should be able to vote for who, whoever you want, you know, and... Yeah. That's that's well, another we've topic. talked a lot about yeah, yeah. We, we've talked a lot about different voting systems yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. have uh, we'll, we'll have more discussions about that on the in the future um, yeah yeah well, but let me, when if you, we if last you... talk oh episode one uh, one twenty six I'm going to point back people to to but let me just make sure that's correct uh, because there was one all right yes I talked about the electoral college in one twenty six but I talked about other things as well so yeah. a, a lot of election uh, related uh, possibilities yeah, all yeah. right so. Uh, coming back to my first point, you know, I, I've and I don't know if you have an opinion on this. If not, we could skip the question. But mm-hmm. I, I've seen people say the polls were way off in 2016, mm. and then I see other people say, "Well, they weren't that far off. They were just a little sparse in some of the key states, like Wisconsin, and it threw everything off." What, what did you look into this? Like, what is your sense of that? Yeah. Um, so, I think both. Actually, both both assessments are true. It's just that we're not talking about exactly the same polls. National mm. polls, um, they were quite right. Um, they were like, um, I think the error in the end uh, was um, two points, something like that, which is like um, uh, better than what they did in 2012. I mean, in 2012, yeah. they were off by, I think, four points, if I remember. I, I feel like that could have been accidentally right, though, you know, because if it's like, if it was up in, if it was overestimating in some states and underestimating in other states, it's like, well, I made one error here and one error there, and they just happened to cancel out. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why also, that's why it's interesting to take an average, you know, uh, yeah. you're, you're hedging your bets. But um but so uh, at the national level, uh, polls were really not that bad and actually better than in 2012. Uh, the problem is that at the national level in 2012, they uh, predicted the right winner. In 2016, they predicted the wrong winner. And people tend to think, you know, uh, in a binary fashion and they just look at, oh, okay, the, uh, they, they had the wrong winner. So uh, polls were right. crap, which is not true at the national level. At the state level, though, um, the situation is, is much more uh, disparate. And uh, you had, indeed, in some states, uh, they were quite good, but in in a few of the key states, they were really, really off. And that that's a problem because you vote locally in the US, you vote by states. And so national, national polls are interesting to get a sense of where the race is uh, at the national level. But they don't account for all the uncertainty and all the correlations between states, you know. So, again, that's why a model is interesting because it takes into account all the correlations between the states and also the electoral college uh, math that you have to do. And so, right. usually, you have to take more, pay more attention to state polls. And, yes, yeah, state polls in 2016, they were off by quite a large margin in some, in some key states, and that's, that, that was a problem. All right, yeah. so the 2020 but, election here in the U.S. is less than a month away. Um, what, I'm not going to ask you to make a prediction, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> what, what are you going to look for in, in both the polling as they come out in the next couple of weeks and in, like, earlier re- election returns? Let's say it's election day. What, what are going to be some of the indications of how things are playing out in terms of, you know, um, whether, you know, uh, 
whether the polls are, are accurate or not, or, or that will tell us which way it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so there are, I think, um, several, of course, several things to say here. But um, I think usually uh, what I what I look for uh, is more how are the averages and the models um, moving. And I usually don't pay that much attention to individual polls, again, uh, because it's more noise than signals. And especially because you have so many polls in the US. I mean, it's impossible to, to follow all, all the polls, national, state-level polls, and so on. So what I'm going to look for is, uh, is there any movements in the averages and in the polling and in the modeling? And uh, a good, I think a good heuristic here is that every day that passes where Biden is still ahead by eight or nine points is a good day for him. Because as you get closer to the election, there is less uncertainty around the voting and around the polls. And so if Biden stays up by nine or eight points, this is quite a big lead and it, it becomes less uncertain. And it's also mean that Trump has less time to uh, to get more ground, you know. So it's really good. And it's really good for him if, if things stay as they are, you know. Every day right. where things stay as they are, it's good for him. And so... It's, it's 2020, though. It's tough, tough to say something can uh, stay where it is for oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 30 yeah, days. Yeah, but but, but I you, would be I would be happy if it were like two days to go and nothing's changed. Then yeah. if I were Biden, I'd be like, okay, we're this is yeah yeah. yeah 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 yeah. Clearly, it's not finished because if I remember currently in 2015 at this state of the race, uh, Hillary Clinton was still uh, wa- uh, widely ahead, like less than Biden. So I yeah. uh, though not, I think she was not only was she ahead, yeah. not only was she ahead, but this is when the his the. Uh, Access Hollywood tapes came yeah. out, and so it was like, oh, now he's going to be even worse. He's totally <laughs> yeah. done. And yeah. then it was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, yeah. what happened? Yeah, uh, but, but she was at plus six again, which yeah. is not as comfortable as plus eight or plus nine because the right. Democrats have this um, systematic disadvantage in the Electoral College. So plus six is good. But if you get to plus four, then you get in in weird. Um, you 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 can get into weird territories. And then if you are at plus two, basically it's like um, it's like fifty fifty. But all bets are off. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but plus eight is really comfortable, you know. And and things are nonlinear in probabilities because you have floors and ceiling and so on. So yeah. Uh, plus eight, plus nine. Uh, I'd feel good right now. Uh, but yeah, still, still, I think three weeks to go, right? So, <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, uh, the, I think, well, I think as long as the COVID, uh, as COVID is in the news cycle, this is not good for Trump. Uh, so I, I bet. Um, and if you look at the history of the evolution of the averages uh, and the models in in the campaign, uh, they are mainly good for Biden. Uh, at, at the beginning, Biden had uh, uh, um, had a two-win, three chance uh, of winning the Electoral College, which was exactly the same uh, probability as Hillary Clinton on Election Day. And and then now he has uh, an 85% chance of winning. So uh, it's it's much better. And he went in, uh, and and Trump didn't really. Uh, made any improvements um, since since then? He always was at uh, one third at best. Uh, 
So honestly, um, if I had to bet uh, today, I would bet on Biden. Um, of course, if you allow me to change my bet uh, two days before the election, maybe it will change. <laughs> it might but um, I, I, I mean, I'm I'm a Bayesian, so I like to bet, and I think in bets, so uh, I would right. not have any problem. I, I I know you didn't. I still ask think me you would agree. You're but, not gonna. It, yeah. It's it's imprudent to veer too far off from fifty percent at this point. Like, okay, maybe sixty forty, but. You know, oh, you think? I, I don't, don't think so. I, I would be more no? aggressive here. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, it's. I mean, eight points is really is really big. And yeah. uh, so, honestly, if you ask me, if you ask me that I have to bet today, I would bet on Biden, and I would feel pretty confident in that. I mean, even if the polls are off by two points, uh, so as uh, like last year. Um, so like uh, 2016, sorry. Um, this will still be a six-point lead, which is which is quite big. Um, yeah. So uh, I know you didn't ask me for a prediction, but I think predictions are actually really good, and it's good, you know, to uh, do predictions publicly. Uh, and I know you it. do that on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so I and I really love that because I think it's kind of a of you know an intellectual laziness uh, of of people, you know, going to them some media and then saying, "Oh no, I, I'm not making a prediction because it's too hard," blah blah blah. But I think this is gonna yeah. happen. You know, I mean. But I also don't like it when people make predictions and then they don't come back to it and say, like, you know, it's just to score points at the time, but then they don't come back to it and say, was I right or was I wrong? And if you're right, then you could say, hey, I told you so. And if it was wrong, it's... uh, Yeah, yeah, that's why... You have to examine things. Exactly. That's how you learn, you know. So (laughs) uh, that's why it's interesting to do electoral forecasting. So we'll see. But uh, if you ask me to bet money today, I would bet on Biden. Um, Okay. Yeah. Which is what, which what, is what what would what would your spread be if it's not 60 60 40 how how high would you go? Well, uh for now the models have have uh, Biden winning between 85% and 90%. Um so if I hedge my bets, I would say uh, 80 80 20. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, good to know. Um Alex, thanks for coming on the show. Any last thoughts on this? And uh, please remind people, you know, where they could find you online. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, last last thought is uh, related to, you know, the polling uh, misses that I, I was uh, talking about earlier in France. Uh, for instance, in the 2019 election, this big miss in the polls uh, for the right party uh, threw off my model for this party. Why? Uh, because the... Uh, polling error was so huge in historical comparison that um, basically the do- the model don't doesn't know what to do. You know what do you do when you observe uh, such a polling error that you didn't observe before? And so uh, the model doesn't know what to do, but it doesn't know what to do because you wouldn't know what to do. I mean, what do you do? What's 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 the good thing to do in these cases? You know, you should have a huge uncertainty uh, in these cases. So um, it's often so it's really, you know, it's really easy to um, to go and say, oh, yeah, the polls are crap and the models are, are stupid and, and, and they were completely off in 2016. But um, this, is a, uh, this is a hard job. Um, and I think having really set opinions on how polls uh, are good or bad and how models are useful or not is, is really not warranted here. And I think we would do better if we all had more uncertainty and th- and thought more 
probabilistically, you know, that would <laughs> that would make my day easier. Um, and so just to, f to finish uh, on that, uh, I'd be happy to talk about all that with people. They can get in touch with me at uh, on Twitter at Alex underscore Andorra, like the country, tiny little country in Europe. Um, and uh, yeah, basically, I'm also doing a podcast. You were uh, you were there, Max, uh, on on the Learning Bayesian Statistics podcast. And so uh, people can check that out. Uh, the 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 link um, is on my uh, on my Twitter, or otherwise, uh, you just uh, type "learn learning Bayesian statistics" in your favorite podcatcher, and it should pop up. And yeah, I'd be all right. Great. Yeah, yeah. All of that will be on the show notes page, localmaxradio.com slash one hundred and forty. Awesome. We so have three more episodes until the election. So if you're getting tired of the election stuff, <laughs> uh, three more episodes left. That's all you have to get. Yeah, I am not. I really, I really love these. these, so, these yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to talk about the election all three episodes, but yeah. <laughs> uh, probably do a check-in. So. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Alex Andorra, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot, Max, for having me again. All right, that was great. I just have two follow-ups from previous episodes. One of the stories that we follow that we covered in the last episode was... Coinbase. And if you remember, Coinbase uh, gave their employees uh, very, very generous packages to leave the company uh, if, uh, you know, if they're uncomfortable with the, you know, rules that kind of restricted the political activism in the workplace. And so uh, at the time, only three employees have taken it, but Ars Technica now reports that 60 Coinbase employees have taken the severance or about 5% of the company. Um, it's interesting. Some of those might not have cared about the Coinbase uh, the, the, the new rules, it might have just been that they were incentivized by the really nice package. They might have been like, hey, I could collect double salary for <laughs> six months. Uh, maybe I'll do it. Or maybe they're thinking about anyone who's thinking about leaving is on the fence. So, um, so is that a bad thing? I don't necessarily know. It's a very interesting gamble. It's not clear how it will play out. Um, will the company have more cohesion after this? Very interesting experiment. So I will continue to follow this and we'll, we'll follow up when we, we have more to say. Another one is, we talked about the Viking DNA uh, last episode and I, I, I got, well, we were talking about how, you know, oh, um, you know, some potential stat or I don't know if it's real, like all Ashkenazi Jews are six, um, six cousins or, or less. And a friend of mine who actually, he's the one who posted the, uh, the, the one on, or retweeted the one on the Viking DNA. So he's interested in that stuff, uh, sent me a, a Medium article uh, entitled from, from 2017 saying, no, you don't really have um, 7,900 fourth cousins. Um, and, and the article is saying that uh, a lot of these DNA tests will say, if you're an Ashkenazi Jew, that you have a lot of fourth cousins, when really it's not necessarily fourth cousins, it's people who share multiple ancestors, but further up the family tree, so further back in time. That is an interesting idea. There's actually a lot of like interesting um, mathematics to genealogy, and a lot of interesting things happen when you kind of um, post people back in time and you kind of look at shared ancestors. I'm sure this uh, is true with other uh, other ethnic groups as, as well. So um, yeah, I don't. Maybe I can do um, a whole episode on genealogy math. That would be that would be pretty cool. All right. So um, with that, have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. 
If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.